It's our bullpen update episode. We'll update everyone on bullpen situations around Major League Baseball, go over strategy, and give you fantasy advice along the way. Reliever Recon's Greg Jewett joins us next here on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great managing through the smoke here. Oh my goodness. Canada. It's Rob Silver is sending some smoke our way. Well, what's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. Like they had to cancel a couple games. They canceled a game in Washington today for it, which is crazy because Washington is a good, you know, a couple hundred miles away from here in New York. Yeah, it's crazy. My softball games last night were canceled as well. We had an important doubleheader, but we'll have to do that next week. Unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, it's affecting baseball. It's affecting our lives. And uh, what can you do? But we, we go on here, and uh, we've got a great show for you tonight. We're bringing back the bullpen guru. We've had him on our show earlier this year. Welcome back from Reliever Recon, Greg Jewett. How are you, Greg? I am well. Great to be on with you guys. Well, Greg, last time I congratulated you on taking me down in Tout Wars in the uh, wildcard round. And now you haven't lost a game this year. You're 9-0. What, can, you, can you please like make it easier on everybody, please? I mean, I, I'm in second place, but 9-0, that's, that's crazy, man. Good, good for you. I appreciate that. It's uh, it's a little bit of luck and a little bit of uh, decent pickups. So hopefully we can keep the momentum rolling. You know, I, I, I my goal every year is just to make the playoffs. So this is a nice way to uh, lay that foundation. I mean, the only way to beat you is to pretty much come to your house, get inside your computer, change a couple of players, and drop a couple of guys. I mean, it's just crazy, man. Well. You- you picked up one of the guys I dropped on accident last week, so we'll we'll let, not on accident, wait, wait, wait. but accident. I, I, I was trying to decide between the person you picked up and Brett Beatty, and I made the wrong decision. Uh, who did I pick up? Naylor. Oh, sorry, man. It's uh, okay. Better luck next time. All right. Anyways, but uh, that's a little bit about Tat Wars, but you've come for relievers here, and we're gonna talk through relievers, some strategy, and an update for you, because, you know, as everyone knows, relievers are an important part of the game, especially if you do rotisserie, so this is for the roto guys here, and, uh, well, first of all, strategy section tonight, you know, we talked before the season on the right way to draft, and what should you do, and what the strategy is, tell me, tell me, Greg, what do you think, knowing what we, we have the first two months of the season, what would have been the optimal strategy going into preseason drafts uh, if, if you would have done the absolute right thing? And obviously, you know, if you pick the right pitcher, you pick the right pitcher. I'm not talking about, you know, you happen to stumble on the right guy. I'm talking about what is the general strategy walking in that would have been the successful one for this year? We actually talked about it. I, we, we agreed that getting a reliever from the second or third tier was probably the way to go this year. And again, you did have to miss a couple of landmines there. However, um, you know, we, we, I know I spoke about Felix Bautista. Uh, we talked about Camilo Duvall, um, guys of that nature. You know, the top three guys are, are stable, safe sources, but you can also get them. You know, it, it's almost been a three-year trend where um, the guys going after the top three have been the sort of the sweet spot 
when you're uh, getting those saves in your drafts. So more around the fourth or fifth round as opposed to uh, paying the full pony for a, a first or second round closer that you know some of those prices have escalated to the last couple of years. Ruben, you agree? I do agree, but I mean, if you went top heavy with the re- with the relievers here, it wasn't such a bad thing. I mean, Class A is leading the league in, in mm-hmm. saves. Romano is second in saves, and if you look and if you you know want to count uh, Hater, he's not too far behind either. He's he's about seventh or eighth in in, in saves. So you could have gone both ways. You could have gone top heavy, but middle middle seems to be the best way to go. The the Felix Batista of the world, the Doval, who's almost like on the second tier, Alexis Diaz second tier, Bednar second tier. Those guys, I think those those are the targets that people should have aimed for because they were cheaper, and you could have put more money into hitting, which seems to be the way things are moving now. Yeah. Greg, you uh, talked to me the last time you were on the show. You talked me into picking uh, David Bednar this year, and I picked him over you in Tout Wars, and ding, ding, he's the third most valuable uh, relief pitcher in Roto this year with a value of uh, over $17, according to Razzball Player Raider. Unbelievable. Uh, good call on that one. I appreciate that. I, I had him last year in tout. I actually got him in the reserve uh, last year in tout. Uh, and that worked out again this year, getting Seawald in the reserves. I mean, there's nothing sexy about Paul Seawald, but the, the early season injury to Andres Munoz just kind of paved the way for him to be um, valuable. So now that I, when I keep the points tab on the reliever recon closer charts, I believe Bautista Bautista's at, at the top of it with the CBS scoring that we play in. And Seawall, I believe, is top five, which is kind of crazy that he was available in reserves. So uh, before, uh, this is not the injury guru's trivia, but can you guys name the top ten relievers according to Raswell Player Raider for this year? <laughs> well, obviously Felix. That's number one, Ruve. I'm going to say Bednar. Bednar's three. Alexis Diaz. That's number two. Uh, Jordan Romano. Number four. Doing good so far. Doval. Doval, five. Class A. Class A, seven. Uh, Devin Williams. Williams, six. Three more to go. Is this top ten? Top ten. Um, um, I'm going to I'm gonna shoot a wild shot here. What about Yanir Cano? Cano is 13, so he's, he's close 13. to that, even though he's not okay. exactly the closer. Okay. Carlos Estevez. That's number eight. Alex Lang, even though he blew his hair today. That's number 10. One more to go. You've mentioned him already, Greg. Seawald. Seawald it is. So there you go. That's your top 10. Just falling outside in value is David Robertson, who's filling in really nicely for Edwin Diaz. You got Hayter, and you got Will Smith and Clay Holmes as well. Kimbrell to follow suit. I mean, I'm looking at it. That, you know, you're right. The The optimal, the optimal uh, price point was right after the elites. I do agree with that. Uh, but, you know, it, other than Edwin Diaz, who obviously was unfortunate, there were very few, uh, call it locks, that were in that has uh, has busted. Like Jose LeClerc busted, but he's lower end. Daniel Bard busted. Uh, he was drafted as a closer. Everyone else pretty much has shown somewhere near their drafted value. So I guess the market was more right than wrong. Do you guys agree? Well, what about Josh Hader? I guess he's considered a bust compared to where he was drafted, right? I mean, Hader returns uh, $10 worth of value. So, you know, I wouldn't call it a bust. I would call it a hold, let's say. It's it's okay. strange this year. He's so reliant on his sinker. He's he's even stopped throwing his slider as much. It's 
it's really strange when you're when you're looking at his game logs and, and the pitches used. Um, you know, he was always trying to sprinkle in a changeup to go with the slider and the sinker. And he's, I I believe I didn't double check it before we came on, but he's been throwing his sinker, I believe, almost eighty five percent of his pitches this year. It's like the only thing he trusts right now, and it's strange. So down low, you know, the uncertain teams, the White Sox, that's a bust. Oakland, of course, that was a bust. The Cubs situation, a bust. Diamondbacks, of course, a bust. The Dodgers situation primarily has been a bust. There really hasn't been anybody to move forward. Um, I, I guess nobody was really paying the prices, but it was a bust, and it was shown un- to be uncertain. Like, we didn't know who it was. The only low values that were really big wins were Estevez uh, in Los Angeles, Detroit with Lang, and I guess you would consider Kimbrell a win, although Alvarado's coming back. We should probably talk about that as well later on. Uh, but, uh, you know, before we do that, a little bit more strategy. Greg, if you were drafting today, so if you were doing like a second chance league, what would be the optimal closer strategy? Would you say that it continues or would you tilt more towards winning teams more towards uh, because obviously if you're on a team that's poor, that's lousy, not making the playoffs, you might trade your clothes. What would you what would change, if any, in terms of strategy if you were drafting now for a second chance league? Well, I mean, the second I went through some of the second chance ADP just because you would put it on the sheet, um, and, and it was interesting. It's it's strange because we were just talking about Hater. He was the the first reliever taken in in the second chance drafts according to the ADP on NFBC. Uh, you know, Clase went second. Bautista moved up to third. He jumped ahead of Romano, uh, and you know, after that, it's kind of stable. You know, Devin Williams is getting more love now. Camille Duvall. Um, Rizel Iglesias was going at around pick 70 in those second ten, second chance drafts. Uh, the biggest riser to me was Alexis Diaz. And, you know, it, it happened last year with Baltimore because, you know, they never really used a closer and then they kind of turned it over to Jorge Lopez. And then when they traded him, they gave it to Bautista. And it, it signaled a change. And, you know, the fantasy community adapted and went with it. Uh, and the same thing has happened this year with Cincinnati. You know, even in the preseason Bell intimated that he would use Diaz sometimes in the eighth inning if he had to to win a game, but he's really just turned him loose and used him as a closer. And it's been refreshing, and he's made the most of it. Um, you know, he gets that, that long extension. He's on top of you. And it's been great to see and to have him carry that over. So um, to me, those are the biggest shocks. And, and um, um Yohan Duran, I think we always want more out of him, but Baldelli uses him a lot for multiple inning outings, so then he's not available the next day. Uh, it's been strange uses patterns with him, even though the kid's really talented. Uh, it, it's unfortunate. And then in the later areas, you know, even as well as Estevez has pitched, he's still not getting appreciated by the fantasy community. He's going after pick 100 in those. Uh, you know, and Jason Adam traded spots with Fairbanks. You know, AJ Puck was going at pick 240, which I found strange. I mean, I know he missed time with the nerve irritation, but he came back and recorded all three outs via strikeout in his first uh, first outing back from the injured list. So, you know, and, and Alvarado, who you intimated that, you know, there's guys in the second half that could do well um, that that kind of flew below the radar on this. So I think you could have done the what we talked about earlier in the year. You know, pick your anchor at the beginning if you get one of the guys we mentioned already, and then you sprinkle in with a couple of these guys later on to uh, to spackle in those saves. And being on good teams absolutely matters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that 
you know, pretty much what you see is what you get with the closers and the price point are, you know, you don't need that elite price point. You can make it with the second tier, you know, still a number one closer, but that's probably a little bit better price. They're still very certain. And of course, you know, there's more certainty now than preseason. You know, you see, and, and by the way, you were right. Uh, Alexis Diaz, that has really turned into uh, a, a premium guy almost. I mean, before the season, his price was low, and it was that because of the uncertainty. Is it him? Is he going to use high leverage? But because he's doing that, and now um, they the Reds brought up Ellie De La Cruz. They, they're going for it. There's, mm-hmm. You're not going to have him traded. Like, there was speculation, will he be traded? No, no, this guy is the closer. So he, to me, of anybody, <clears throat> changed the value the most. From preseason mm-hmm. to now, Batista to me was always high valued, uh, but uh, Diaz changed the most value, I think. Yeah, and and not only that, with, with Diaz, a lot of the uncertainty in the all in the preseason was the fact that oh, Edwin Diaz went down, so the Mets going to trade from. When are they going to trade from and everything like that? The Reds are only four games out of the wild card right now, and they are going for it. And and the fact that he's been so successful, and the fact that he's being used pre- predominantly in the ninth inning, just just like Greg, you said, he's not being used that much in the eighth inning. So he is being used as the quote unquote traditional closer, and that's what you're looking for. As opposed to let's say if you drafted Ryan Helsley or if you drafted uh, Giovanni Gallegos, both of those guys, they have the same amount of saves right now, and yet you throw coming into the season that Gallegos was going to get almost no saves or or minimal saves, and Helsley will get the majority of the saves. It's just uh, just the way the things you know panned out. Greg, do you think it's worth uh, um, uh, to have on your roster middle relievers, you know, instead of picking up a a spot starter that could stink up your ratios, just pick up, you know, the next most promising uh, uh, reliever, you know, the Nick Anderson type from Atlanta. Obviously, those guys who got in Cano did really, really well. Um, if you picked up Giovanni Gallegos because he was dropped, that was a good thing. Like, do you think this is this is a worthwhile strategy to really not speculate, but really um, look at the market for for relief pitchers just because just for their ratios, right? And hey, you never know; they could turn in. They're probably next in line for closer, anyways. I think it's easier in a fifteen team league. Um, it's tougher in a twelve, just because of the the numbers that you need to accrue. It's been very strange this year because um, one of the guys on Recon um, who goes by Bull, Bullpen Guru on the Twitter machine, he, he did a whole thing about the what he called the fruit with the first reliever out of the bullpen and, and you know how those guys were racking up a bunch of wins last season and the year before. And this year it hasn't been as as stable. It's been more the it's the eighth inning relievers like Nick Anderson used reference. He's got four wins already. Scott Alexander picked up his fifth win today. It's a lot of these one inning guys that are actually picking up the cheap, the cheap wins. So it makes it a little more difficult because you need them to work two to at, at least two to three times in a week to, to get something out of them. So it to me, it's been a little dicier using the middle relievers this year. Cause there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of blowups. However, you can do it, but you really have to pay attention to what reliever you're using and who his matchups are um, on on the week going forward. And, and like Yannir Cano had a hot start. He struggled a little bit lately, but if he's getting four outs in two games, then that does help you, especially if he's getting like five strikeouts in those two outings. That could be equal to, you know, Aaron Savalli today, I think, had five strikeouts in 5.2 innings. So, if you're getting that kind of production, yes, but you really have to monitor who you're matching up those pitchers with. Yeah, good point on the depth of the league as well. Ruben, I'll go to you for this one first. 
How do you think the new rules with the the uh, pitch clock and throwing over? How do you think it's ref- affected relief pitchers? I actually don't think it's affected them that much. I mean, the one reliever we thought that would really affect was Kenley Jansen. And Kenley Jansen seems, I mean, he had the one weird game where he had like three or four pitch violations. But I think all the pitchers, after it's two months already, most pitchers have already adapted to it. They know what they have to do. They're they're on, literally, they're on the clock. And, and I think they've actually adapted pretty well. Do I think it's affecting their numbers? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I mean, Greg can answer this to answer this better, but I don't think that strikeouts are down for relievers. I don't think walks are up for relievers. Um, and I think the amount of clock violations have gone down steadily as the season has gone on. Do, do you think that uh, it affects starters more? There was this guy on Twitter, I can't remember his name, but he had a whole thread about how the clock really affected Alec Manoa. Because Manoa was more of a max effort guy for himself, and he just wasn't resetting properly now, where he, he used to take a lot of time between pitches to reset his max effort. He can't do that now, so he's gone much wilder, and you know pitches were less effective. Do you think that's true, uh, Greg, that starters might be more affected than relievers? And what's your take on it affecting relievers? I think so. Like Older relievers like Bard and Kenley, were, they've both had interviews saying where it, it feels like an aerobic workout now when they come in. So they're talking about one-inning outings. So if you're talking about um, veteran pitchers dealing with the, the new pitch clock, it, it really has to be causing some fatigue. Uh, and I know people are frustrated with uh, Verlander and some results from Scherzer and other guys, but you know it, it's as you you know I, I can attest to this. I'm 53. As I get older, I just don't bounce bounce, bounce I don't bounce back like I used to. And everything being sped up, I think it it kind of it, it does cause some of these problems that we see with command or leaving pitches over the plate and things of that nature. You're just not as sharp or as crisp. So um, that threat about Manoa, it, it can be. It can make a lot of sense, uh, and we anticipated that. As far as relievers, uh, as Ruben was saying, it hasn't been a big difference. I went through the league stats from 2022 compared to this year. Uh, strikeout percentage is actually up by 0.3% from 23.6 to 23.9. Walk rates have grown a little bit, 9.1 in 2022 to 9.7% this year. Uh, the biggest difference I see is a little bit in the whip. It was 1.28 last year, and right now it's 1.32, and we know usually relievers tire in the second half, so that might get closer to a league average whip being around 1.34, 1.35 at the end of the season. I think that's where it is. So there's there's more hits, I think, happening, especially with the shift not being there. Uh, the the bat pip is going up slightly, and I think that's where you're seeing – the ratios growing a little bit is is as a result of the shift along with the uh, the pitch clock working against uh, pitchers as a whole. So I want to talk about a couple of closer situations and really target this towards helping your fantasy team uh, because there's going to be the trade deadline. Uh, there's going to be, hey, maybe there's guys on the waiver wire. Maybe there's guys back who are, who are injured. So we'll talk a little bit about all of that. So first to you, Greg, and this always comes up, because the trade deadline's coming up, there's going to be closers that are traded. There's going to be closers that are traded to another team and lose their role because they're just going to be uh, an arm, a uh, guy on a, another team. Or maybe there's a really, really elite guy that they're, they're going to uh, be traded, but they're going to keep their role because, you know, they're just so good. So can you identify for us a couple of potential 
uh, relievers that are going to be likely to be changing teams and what their status will be on their new team. It's really odd this year because there's not a lot of um, upper-end closers that are on expiring contracts or some of the situations that you're talking about. So I can't say today who's going to be selling. There's almost an article every day about Aroldis Chapman's going to get traded sooner rather than later. So he would have to go to the right situation to get save chances. Um, there's There was an article today on The Athletic about Liam Hendricks possibly being traded during the season, which would be, I think, a horrible PR look for the White Sox. But if it's what's best for him and his family, then I'm, I'm okay with it. You would think he would go somewhere to be the guy uh, if, if he's going to get moved. Um, but it, outside of that, I haven't heard much. Now, I think Will Smith could get affected if Texas goes out and decides that they're going to get somebody to either be a right-handed compliment to him or to take over you know, the ninth inning so he can work in a setup role and really match up with left-handed hitters. Because uh, Texas, even losing to Grom, we know that they're going to be going for it. And, and what's going to happen with, you know, the Cubs are going to trade relievers. They do it every year. Uh, and how all these other things shake out, what's going to happen with the Dodgers. There's a lot of moving pieces there with guys coming back. So I, I'd love to be able to give you a better, more in-depth answer, but I I don't anticipate closer close. You know what I mean? The closers with the, with the you know, quotation marks around them a lot of them changing teams this year I just don't see that happening yeah that's a good point and it has a lot to do with the fact that you know with more wild card teams there's more teams that are in it more teams going for it and then you have the batch of the other teams that aren't that you know might lock up guys um I mean Alex Lang is there a reason for the Detroit to trade him right I don't think so. Just like I, I don't, you know, I think it would be terrible PR for the Pirates to trade Bednar. I mean, he he's under team control until uh, twenty twenty seven. What what about Carlos Estevez? I mean, the Angels. Well, he just signed a three year deal. I don't see the reason right. why they would trade him. I mean, but uh, didn't didn't Iglesias sign a big deal and then they traded him as well? He did. That was a four year deal, but yeah, they wanted to shed the money. It, it it's possible. I mean, I I don't know what the Angels. Mo is no one ever does. They're they're a they're a tough organization to read. I mean, I guess they could sell high on him if they chose to do it. Um, I just don't think Ben Joyce has the command right now to come in there and be a safe factor. Ruvin, anybody else, Ted? Yes, I can, there are a couple guys I can think of. You mentioned Liam Hendricks not being traded, but I can see Kendall Graven being traded. He closed before. He has closing ability. He's closed this year a little bit, and he's not going to be that expensive. So he may be a guy that a lot of teams are looking for, especially if the White Sox remain out of it. On the Nationals, Kyle Finnegan. Nationals aren't going anywhere right now. If they can get more pieces to their puzzle for the next coming years by trading a Kyle Finnegan or even a Hunter Harvey, who's shown that he's been able to, you know, to get back on the horse a little bit. I think those two, those two are names you can think about. And a guy that I'm going to put out there, and I mentioned him already, and it's a possibility if the Cardinals stay out of it. I know Ryan Helsley is still under control for another two or three years. They can get a lot for him. They can get a lot for Giovanni Gallegos also. I think if the Cardinals stay out of it, I think one of those guys may be traded. Um, are there any injured players that are coming back soon that uh, we should keep our eye on? And, of course, how does that affect the other bullpen? The two people that I can that comes to mind uh, right away is Daniel Hudson, who's working out now for the Dodgers. I can see him taking over as the closer. And uh, I'll also say uh, Jose Alvarado is coming back. 
maybe mm-hmm. he takes over for Craig Kimbrell. What, what are your thoughts on those situations, and are there any others we should be aware of? Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, you know, Hudson had the knee issues, but he's been responding well since then. The team still estimates it might not be till late June, early July that he returns, but um, that bullpen's been struggling the last few days. Uh, that was highlighted in my article on The Athletic um, today and on a previous post on Reliever Recon the day before that. Uh, you know, Evan Phillips, even this year, has kind of regressed to the mean a little. I mean, he's been very good, but not nearly as good as last year. Uh, so they need somebody to kind of stabilize that ninth inning, and Hudson has the experience to possibly do that. Um, you already said Jose Alvarado will be activated on Friday. He's going to be dressed and ready to go. We're just praying he stays healthy. Puck just returned uh, from Miami, and I know you want to talk about that later. Uh, and we've got Pete Fairbanks um, through yesterday, and they were going to determine if he needed to work in a minor league game, but he could be activated as soon as Monday, which puts him back into um, safe situations with Jason Adam with the Rays. Their, their bullpen needs the needs the extra arm and the help in the late innings. Uh, so, so those are guys we're kind of tracking now. And we, you know, I, I don't know, and, and Ruvain can probably talk about this better than I, I just don't trust Alex Reyes being ready to go in the second half. He could, and he can make a liar of me. And I know the Dodgers, they're a savvy organization, but, you know, they're not afraid to sign somebody. And if it doesn't work out, they're not worried about it. Uh, Ruvain, do you think Reyes can return in the second half? It's possible, but I don't. But I don't know how much you can expect from him. Um, and plus, he has it's, it's a track record. If he doesn't, if you don't have a track record of staying healthy. Why would you? Why? I mean, I can see that you know, take, just taking a waiver on him, that's fine. But playing for for fantasy purposes, there's no reason to take a waiver on him unless you're in like a really really deep league and you have him, and that's fine. But otherwise, there's really no reason. I mean, you can have him on your radar, listen about it, hear about it, but I, I it's, he's not a guy you're going to jump on. Oh, and the one other guy I forgot to mention was Cody Hewer of the Cubs. He might be back within a week or two. Um, he's in his 30-day rehab window. Um, he was hitting 97 miles per hour the night before last. And we all know the Cubs' bullpen is, is a mess to try and figure out. But at least Hewer, if he does get in there, he might be like the right-handed matchup guy. And that frees up Alzali to go back to multiple inning outings, which gives that bullpen a little more depth before they start trading pieces away. Good stuff. And before we go into a couple of specific closer situations for split teams, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Okay, so one of the teams we're going to be talking about is going to be Tampa Bay, and that happens to be one of the answers to the question. But the question is this. Which teams have used the most relievers and have gotten that have gotten saves this year? There are two teams that are tied for the most relievers with save for total saves for the year, meaning the total amount of relievers getting saves. So I'm going to give you an example. Tampa Bay, they have seven different players so far who have gotten saves this year. There is another team that has the exact same amount of players who have gotten saves. Who is it? Which team? Yankees. That's correct. Unbelievably, the Yankees have seven. But now, bonus one, there are a total of four teams that have only had two players record saves for the entire year. What What are the teams? I know Texas is one. Texas is one. Detroit? Nope. It's not the Mets because Drew Smith had one. I'll give you a hint. It's a, t- it's a team of uh, uh, two players that I mentioned twice already in this podcast. Oh, is it uh, Duran and uh, 
Lopez no. of the Twins? No. No. Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals. Hel- Helsley yeah. and Gallegos have the same amount of saves. That's only the only two players who have saves. Uh, also, Tor- they're they're two Toronto. Not Toronto. Hmm. The Colorado Rockies only have two players who have oh, gotten Baltimore. saves. Baltimore. And Baltimore, correct. Baltimore. So those it's usually it's usually by this time you have more players getting saves, but I think when you see that you kind of get an idea of the philosophy of the team that they want to make only they want to have only certain players close games or or and try to keep it that way and and don't you know don't swerve from it. So I'm going to bring up the Tampa Bay situation right now. Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam. Who's it going to be the rest of the way? Is it going to be a split? Is it going to be the same Tampa Bay thing where we don't know who's going to get the save? And Jalen Beeks will end up with 10 saves this year. What's what's happening in Tampa? When Fairbanks is healthy and available, they prefer him in the ninth inning because he can only do one inning outings. Whereas Jason Adam, you know, I, I refer to as the highest leverage reliever. He can come in in the seventh. They need him to get a, a bases loaded situation out of it and work the eighth inning too. Um, and then he will still get some saves. So I think they'll go back to the way they use those two in the second half where Fairbanks uh, got last year in the, in the, well, actually this year, when Fairbanks has been active, he's, he's finished the game 84% of the time. So he's got 11 games finished out of 13 appearances. So, I mean, they kind of showed you in the second half last year. And, and in the second half last year, I think Fairbanks had eight saves and Adam had four. I think you would see that similar ratio moving forward with the Rays. Yeah, I agree. And Fairbanks, they gave a contract to. So, you know, mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about accumulating saves or better arbitration, that kind of thing. It's just Fairbanks. And uh, Adam is obviously the clear number two. The Rays are still totally capable and totally ready to have anybody else if they like the matchups or if they, there's higher leverage elsewhere. That's true. So you'll you'll get a lot of guys in the team who are going to get one, two saves here and there. But it, I, th- I agree. I think it's going to be Fairbanks and Adam having uh, sort of a two-to-one split in saves. But the whole thing with Fairbanks is that he has an injury history. So that's something you have mm-hmm. to watch for. If, if you have him on your team – and he's coming back, and you show that he's that he he pitches well a couple of a couple of outings, even a week or two, three weeks. He's a guy you may want to think of trading because he has that injury risk. And Jason, and then t- and try to invest in Jason Adam if you do that because you can get those saves. But he's a guy that yes, he will get the save opportunities, but it's he's always the injury risk. He's always a taking time bomb just because he's great when he's healthy. He's just got to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Rockies for a second. Um, Pierce Johnson apparently has the hold on it. The only other guy to get uh, saves is Justin Lawrence. I just looked that up. Um, I'm surprised Bard hasn't gotten any. Obviously, he hasn't pitched much. He's pitched in 16 games. Uh, But Pierce Johnson's ERA is 6.56. That is is supported by uh, 5.26 FIP. Uh, he's not been great at all. I mean, uh, he, he's had a very high Babbitt, but of course he plays in Colorado. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess he's the guy. Is He's not worth owning in a 12-team league. He's no. worth owning, obviously, in a mono league. But is he worth it in a 15-team league? I mean, those ratios are god-awful. The Rockies aren't fantastic, so there's a limit to the number of saves. But I guess if you're absolutely uh, hungry for saves, I guess he's the guy. Is that how to treat it? I don't know. He had another meltdown today. So um, they, it was strange. They they used Justin Lawrence last week um, for two save situation. Now the one was a scoring thing. It was a seven two game, and the score gave him a save. It was kind of kind of ridiculous. But 
Um, he got he got the save right after that. It was a one point. Uh, he he recorded four outs. So, but the other day there was a bases loaded situation in the seventh inning. They were only up by one, so they brought him in at like an HLR, uh, and he did well. To, he stranded the bases loaded. Then they put him out there for the eighth inning, and he got fatigued. And they got a couple of cheap hits, and then all of a sudden they scored two runs, and he he gets a loss hung on him. Um, I, I think Lawrence right now is the the best reliever in that bullpen. So I'm hoping, like, you know, Yuan Duran, that the, the team will give him more safe chances moving forward and, and use him less in multiple inning outings if that's the case. The problem is there's just not a lot of depth in that bullpen. So if you're the best guy, there's times he's just going to go in there when they need him. Yeah, uh, Justin Lawrence, highest bullpen whip at almost one win, actually. Sorry, highest bullpen war, that is, at almost one war. Yeah. Is it? Is it? You know, I have a question though. Is there? Is there a chance that Brent Suter can steal some saves there? Because he's been pitching pretty well. Also, he's pitching in a lot of high leverage situations. Yeah, well, he was the one who loaded the bases and got taken out with no outs <laughs> of that game. Of that game where he came in. I mean, there's a chance that Suter could, but I don't know. That. Well, hold on a second. I'm getting a, a phone call they're, they're right they're now. The oh, it's the Colorado Rockies. They need a somebody in the bullpen apparently. Uh oh. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty bad there. Uh, Ruvain, you, you have been a big uh, Giovanni Gallegos uh, guy for a while. I know you're always recommending him, uh, even picking him up in a draft in middle of the season. Uh, we picked him up in labor, um, and he you know he provides some saves here and there. What is the story with St. Louis, Helsley, and Gallegos? Both look decent this year. It looks like it's not a stream. You know, Helsley only getting saves. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of both. What can we see going forward from the pair of Helsley and Giovanni Gallegos? Well, the way it's been going is I think Gallegos is getting more of the opportunities, even though it's almost split down the middle with the total saves right now. I've always been a Gallegos guy. Gallegos seems to be the guy, I, I would say, but Helsley still has that great strikeout ratio. Uh, I mean, the, the the great K per nine, and you can't see it's so hard to go away from him, but he's just struggled, you know, in, in the early part. And when he struggles, they put Gallegos in. I think they're going to do the two-headed monster just like the Tampa was doing with, with Pete Fairbanks and and Jason Adam for a while. That I think it's going to be 50-50 for a bit. Um, and I think that Gallegos will probably end up with more. But I wouldn't be surprised if each each player ends up with about 14-15 saves. Do you agree, Greg? And, and what depths, what league depths should both be owned? Is it almost universal, you think? I think they can both be owned in 12s. Um, it's it's more ideal in a 15 if you have a safe share. Uh, it just you know it, de- it it really depends on what your roster needs are. I, I don't know about a 10 team league, but it, just because of the volume. But it, I think we all agree at some point St. Louis is going to go on a little bit of a run here, or they should, and then that that's going to whichever one of them is is getting the majority of those saves will get a little bit of boost in value. I kind of lean healthily, but we'll see what happens. In a 10-team league, should you not own either of those two? I'm not saying you shouldn't own them. I'm saying team context. Now, some of those 10-team leagues, you can do daily moves, so it makes it easier. I'm just saying if it's, you know, depending on where you are in the standings and, and what you need, you know, you may not get the save volume from them that you do from another guy that's got it by himself. That's that's the hard part. The shallower it goes, the the more stable you want that save share to be. All right, let's do another situation. Uh, Greg, Minnesota, 
Uh, you got Yohan Duran and Jorge Lopez. Duran has been absolutely the better pitcher. He's worth a lot more uh, on the Roto Value Raider to date. How do you see it going forward? Is it pretty much more of the same? And I'm assuming you agree that Duran is the guy to earn or to own over Lopez. Mm-hmm. I would say Duran should probably be universally owned, and maybe Lopez, if you need something of a save share in a mono league, maybe a 15-team league. How do you see uh, the fantasy use of those players? Yeah, I actually, they've been using Brock Stewart more than Lopez in setup games. So uh, I think if you look over the the last 30 days game logs, you're going to see that Stewart has more holds and, and better ratios. So um, I would actually slot him ahead. And now they got Thielbar back, Giovanni Moran. I mean, it's it, to me, the only one in this bullpen worth owning is Duran. I, I wouldn't really go deeper than that. All right. Ruvain, going to you on Seattle. Um, Andres Munoz, he's back. Um, I know I drafted him in quite a few leagues, got him on the cheap, and he's got a lot of upside. Is he going to take some saves away from SeaWorld? Uh, maybe not at first, at least, because he'll be right back. But how do you see playing? Yeah, Munoz, to me, could be the better pitcher. SeaWorld has been fantastic, though. I think they're going to keep Seawold right now as a traditional closer until Munoz gets some more games under his belt. I mean, when he came back, he looked really good. I mean, really, he looked. His stuff was electric. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. He made Tatis look very funny when he was batting. He, he was. He looked ridiculous. The only thing is, is that they'll probably use him in the higher leverage situations in the eighth inning and or ninth inning, depending where where it goes, just because he throws harder than Seawold does. Seawold is a traditional closer. I think he's going to stay that way. I think Munoz will sneak some saves to to, to begin with. I think maybe toward the end of the season, if they're in a tight race, I think they may just switch back and forth. But for the most part, I think Seawold will get the majority of the saves. You agree? I do, and when you look at the second half last year in the playoffs, they used Munoz against the toughest pocket of the opposing lineups in whatever inning it was there. So if, you know, Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. are going to bat in the eighth, then it's going to be Munoz. But if they're going to be in the ninth, they might slot Seawald in the eighth and leave Munoz to match up with them in the ninth. I, I you know... Ruvain referenced it perfectly with the HLR thing. As this goes forward, Munoz will be the HLR, which just means, just like we talked about with Tampa Bay, you're probably looking at a a 2-to-1 ratio on saves between the two of them moving forward this season. Okay. Um, Let's talk finally about the Miami situation. And I think it's actually a rather important one because Miami pitching is actually decent, and games are tight. There are more save ops for the Marlins than you would considering their record. And the record's not is not bad at all. Um, it looks like it, A.J. Puck is the guy. As you mentioned earlier, he had been. He was injured. Uh, how do you see it going forward? We're talking pretty much like an 80-20 share for Puck. And who's the next guy? I'm assuming it's Floro? Yeah, Floro will, once in a while, I think Floro will get, like if there's a real tough pocket of right-handed hitters in ninth inning, they might save them. They, did, they were going to do that once earlier in the season. Um, and they've used Puck in the eighth and, and Floro in the ninth. But, yeah, Puck, Puck's been very good. And, you know, he's got six saves and 16 appearances this year. He's got 12 games finished, which means he was the last pitcher going. That's 75% of his outings. And he has a 27.5K minus BB. I mean, you know, it's it's. I don't think it's ever been a, a question of stuff with Puck. It's always been, can he stay healthy? So we're just – it's like a rodeo. We're going to stay – we're going to stay on the uh, – 
We're going to stay on the Buck and Bronco as long as we can. If he gets hurt again and knocks us off, we dust ourselves off and move on to another reliever. So uh, before we do waiver wire, or I should say to start the waiver wire section here, um, Ellie Dela Cruz, uh, we mentioned him a little bit earlier. He, he is phenomenal. Um, I mean, uh, Ruve mentioned that uh, it's 10 seconds from, from uh, a home to third. He, he had a really good-looking triple. He had crushed a homer already. Uh, they're batting him fourth coming up. Um, now, in a lot of leagues, if you know you play in a competitive league that allows minors players, he's probably already picked up. Obviously, if he's not, he's the number one pick for the week, I think. And the NFBC, and we have a lot of listeners from that, um, You, there are the minor leaguers who haven't played at all uh, do not appear in the player pool until they play a game. So when the f- waiver wire hits this weekend, it would be a free-for-all for, for him. The question for the group here is, is he going to be pretty much the number one pickup for the year? Uh, how much should, should you spend for him? How much do you think he will spend? The timing, of course, this is early June. People have depleted, you know, 30%, 40% at least, at least of their uh, fab. What do you think, uh, uh, Greg? What are people going to pay? What should you pay? Um, and is this going to be the number one guy of the year? I think the high-end NFBC, the, depending on what people have left, I think they're going to spend 80 to 85% of their remaining fab on them. Agree, Ruvain? I tend to agree. I don't think it's the smartest thing to do. Um, and it just so happens that the NFC league that we're in, he was drafted preseason by so many in our league. So we don't even have an option for that at this point. Um, I actually looked it up because I'm because I was going to be curious to see how much he goes for. But this is similar to like the Chris Bryant coming up before he was available. This is similar to a Trey Turner if you didn't have him before the season started uh, coming up. This is a guy who can change your team dynamic just because. He runs. He steal. He steals bases. He's gonna hit a lot of home runs. He's batting fourth in the lineup, being called up. He is possible, possibly the guy to turn the Reds around into a possible playoff contender, which is why Alexis Diaz is probably not gonna be traded. So he is gonna be a guy that's gonna go for anywhere between sixty and eighty percent of everyone's remaining fab, which is I think is gonna be crazy. Yeah, I mean the projections for Ellie De La Cruz rest of season according to ATC. 10 homers, 16 stolen bases, 245 average. We're talking 40 runs, 42 RBIs. Just to give you a comparison, um, let's take Ronald Acuna, the number one player in fantasy right now, rest of season. Well, the average is much better. Uh, Dela Cruz is going to strike out some, but 21 homers, 25 stolen bases. That, that's a huge fraction of, of that total. I mean, is this rest of season? We're talking... Third rounder? Is is this is that a fair comp? It's possible. Yeah. I mean, he's gotta be worth that in fab. Obviously injury can happen to anybody, but if we're talking those kind of projections and you know, usually, you know, I don't like bidding on these prospects rookies because the projections don't show anything, they're hot or they're t- you know, the projections usually are low. Projections are so high on this guy, uh, and I don't see anything that's completely wacko on it. Um, I mean, the average is still fairly low, which it makes sense, but the power's there, speed, young guy. Um, I mean, I, I think the recommendation of spending at least half of what you have left, 60%, is at a minimum. Why, why wouldn't you? I mean, obviously, it depends on your situation. If, if you know, it looks like you're going to need more fab week to week because you've got an injured team. If you're up, 
you know, you want to pat, you want to be safe, you know, you want to make sure you have fab to to get week after week. But certainly, if you're in the bottom half of the league, you got to spend eighty percent of your fab on this guy, right? If he's going to be a third rounder, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's why I think the bidding is going to be closer to the eighty, if not higher. Yeah. Crazy. All right. Well, anyways, uh, back to waiver wire. Other than Dela Cruz, um, Greg, start with you. Who are a couple of waiver wire guys that you might want to pick up this week? Uh, if, if we're talking hitters first, right? Yeah, let's do hitters. Okay. Uh, I just wasn't sure. So uh, I, I also have to do a uh, column for Baseball HQ, so we'll give it a little bit of it away here. But um, if you're looking for like a 12-team league streamer, uh, I think Nick Prado, he's been hitting leadoff five of the last six starts. Um, next week, he's got three games against the Reds and three games against the Angels, not exactly um, dominating pitching staffs. Uh, five of those pitchers are slated right now to be right-handed pitching. Um, over the last, over his last 44 plate appearances, he's got two home runs with a 316 average. Uh, what, what gets my attention is an 18.2 barrel percentage in those, uh, in those plate appearances and a 45.5 hard hit percentage. So I think you've got a guy with power that's starting to figure things out, um, hitting at the top of the lineup, which will kind of hamper his RBI. But if he's giving you home runs and runs hitting from that, uh, hitting from the spot and getting more at bats, um, that's an ideal stream option for, um, for next week in that situation. Yeah, uh, safely hitting eight out of the last nine games. Ruvain, anybody else uh, to pick up this week? Yeah, I got three guys, actually. First guy I'm going to mention is Ramon Laureano. He's only 32% owned in CBS right now. In the last two weeks, he's batting 303. No homers, three stolen bases. But listen to this. He's only struck out out six times in the last two weeks. That's very good. And he plays for Oakland, which means he will probably be traded to a better lineup and have a better opportunity somewhere. So now's the time to get him before he does get traded to a better team. So he's only 32% owned, and he's on a hot streak right now, so he's a guy to go after. Another guy, these two guys are for a little bit deeper leagues. I'm going to go with Tommy Pham. Um, he's had a couple more RBIs today. I was watching the game, a couple more RBIs, which is great for the Mets, bad for the Braves. The last two weeks, he's been batting 375 with three homers, nine RBIs, two stolen bases. He's going to get more playing time because Daniel Vogelbach just can't hit his way out of a paper bag. So I don't. I, it's very possible that he'll get DFA'd, that Daniel Vogelbach will be DFA'd, and that'll give more playing time for Tommy Pham. He's only, owned for, he's only owned in 3% of CBS League, so that's something to look at. And another guy, because of injury, because Aaron Judge is out, we don't know how long he's going to be out for, and that's Jake Bowers, the number one top prospect for the Rays. In the last two weeks, he's batting 318 with three homers and seven RBIs. So he seemed to have found something there with the Yankees. He's going to get more playing time because Judge is out, and he's only owned in 2% of CBS leagues. So you want to pick up guys who are who are widely available everywhere, who have been hot and will get playing time. Those are two guys. You know, uh, you mentioned Vogelbach. Why in the world did the Mets uh, DFA Gary Sanchez instead of him? And I'm going to recommend Gary Sanchez uh, if you uh, are in a two-catcher league. He's 20% owned on CBS. With the Padres, he's batting 310 with four homers and nine RBIs in his first nine games. He's getting reps playing DH. Why in the world did Vogelbach stay and Gary Sanchez out? Because the Mets absolutely had to have a lefty. I mean, the Mets got tons of lefties. I don't know. Uh, bad move by the Mets, I think, and uh, good for the Padres. 
Gary Sanchez, a couple of other guys. We mentioned Luke Rowley last week. He's still just 35% owned. Pick him up. Two other guys, Jesus Sanchez, 20% owned. Six homers, batting 306 in 38 games. He was a sleeper preseason in the last two seasons. He's hot now. Pick him up. And how about Joey Weimer? Uh, I believe um, I was there with – maybe the three of us were there. Uh, I was definitely there with you, Greg, I know, uh, looking at him in a game. And that guy had the, the quote, the freak factor. He just had some kind of extra dimension, and we were all screaming, wow, this guy looks good. Out of nowhere, he made some a great throw. He hit a homer. Uh, well, in 60 games this year, he has eight homers and nine stolen bases. Not going to have a fantastic average, but if you're looking for some power-speed production, he's on fire right now. He, had a fin- he like went four for four the other night with, with 11 total bases. Weimer, 25% owned. Check him out. Greg, anyone else to add? I was gonna say I was gonna say uh, Rayleigh, so nope, I'm good. And you mentioned Joey Weimer when he when we saw him in in the Arizona Fall League, everyone was commenting on how he how his blonde hair was long and flowing, and as he was running around the bases, and he looked great. He's been doing great since he got a haircut, which is kind of funny. The anti Samson, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it is it Joey Weimer or Joey Weimer? You know, like a German name. Uh, when I had the game on last night, they said Weimer. It's Weimer. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mispronounce names on the show uh, a lot on purpose. Some of them, by the way, but uh, I'm just I'm trying to get his right name uh, and do you justice, uh, big boy. All right, uh, pitcher preview. Let's talk about some pitchers that you might want to pick up. I'd say short term perspectives are not great. I'm scanning the waiver wire list and it doesn't look great for this week. But maybe you guys found some gems. So uh, I'll let you start, Greg. First, who's the pitcher you'd want to pick up this week? Um, we'll see how it works out, but I actually picked him up in tout when everybody was bidding on Abbott. I didn't have the resources to do that, so I added A.J. Smith-Shaver from Atlanta. Um, I was getting him just to be, I thought I was going to get a couple of relief outings this week, but now he's going to be starting the game on Friday against Washington, which puts him in line next week to either pitch at Detroit or get the Road Rockies at home in Atlanta. So, um, for next week, I think that's not a bad spot to either be pitching in Detroit, who were shut out, or excuse me, they were no hit for, I think, seven-plus innings today. Uh, of course, Wheeler's a great pitcher, but still, um, he was great in the minors. I know he's only he's only 20 years old, but, um, you know, we've seen the, the Atlanta farm system produce guys that are major league ready. Um, I'll be obviously watching his start on Friday closely. Uh, but I think that's somebody, as you're saying, it's a very thin waiver wire for pitchers. Uh, so from a starting perspective, I think he's in a great spot no matter which matchup he gets, Detroit or Colorado, next week. Um, and another stream option, I didn't look up the numbers on CBS, but I will next time. Um, I'm interested in Garrett Whitlock. Again, he gets Colorado uh, in a road contest. You know, Colorado is a different team when they leave Coors Field. So I think smith Shaver and Whitlock are both in good Good streaming options next week for uh, 12 team leagues. Greg, you've spent $916 out of 1000 in Tout Wars. You've got $84 left. What? Yeah. We can do zero bids, baby. That's true, but. I got a lot of guys on the IL. So, I mean, when they come back, I'll just be moving. Like, you know, midseason, my pickup's going to be Max Freed because he's going to hopefully return in the second half. You serious? You get Max Freed also, and you're winning, man. But eighty four dollars, oof! I, I I like to uh, I like to save Fab in uh, in head to head here. I actually have the 
Is it second you, or you third? You got the hammer for Ellie? Oh, do I have the hammer for Ellie? I I do have the I, I'm like the third most, but nah, I'm not going to I'm not going to bid that much on him. Uh but uh I could. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Live a little. Well, it doesn't matter because I, I, I'm I'm going to throw down at least a $100 bid, and Greg can't beat it. So it doesn't oh, no, matter. there's no chance. No, I'm not, yeah, I can't yeah, bid on him. I know I'm not even going to put a thing on. It's not worth my time. Yeah, don't, don't bother because I, I'm going to at least bid a dollar on Ellie Dela Cruz. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. I don't think he's available. You know who picked him up instead? Frank Stamfel picked him up last this past week, even when he was not active. It's in Tat Wars, you can actually pick up players at any time, but the rule is you have to play him the first week. So he took that chance. He picked him up, and, you know, lucky for him. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm playing Frank this week, so he's screwing me three ways. Uh, but, no, Ellie Dela Cruz will not be up for bid because Frank has him. I, I, I forgot about that. All righty. Ruvain, <laughs> anybody for you to add for a pitcher preview? Yeah, I got two. I got two names here. First of all, I think Greg was looking at what I was looking up because I'm going to go with another Atlanta pitcher playing Colorado, and that's Jared Schuster. He's only 42% owned in CBS right now. He's playing Colorado in Atlanta, and last two starts, last few starts for Schuster, he's two and zero with a 3.18 ERA, and he's got 13 strikeouts and 17 innings. I like that matchup. Anyone against Colorado away from Colorado is good, and if you want to take a risk on a two-star pitcher. You can go with Zach Greinke, who's owned in 19% of CBS leagues. He's possible to start with against Cincinnati at home in Kansas City and at home against the Angels. Now, he probably may not get you a—I mean, you could try hopefully get a win from the Cincinnati game, but he's, remember, it's Kansas City. He's owned one in his last three starts with a 3.77 ERA. Um, he's got some strikeouts. He's got 14 strikeouts in the last 14 innings, so he's— you know, he, he's he's hit a little of a, doing well for his age. I hate to say that, doing well for his age, but he is. Um, and he's two starts, so he will give you a possible chance of getting two wins. Not great. I mean, he's pitching possibly against Luke Weaver and Tyler Anderson. So those are two good matchups for the for the Royals. So it's it's a possibility that Zach Granke can get you some wins. So I'll throw two guys, but these, these are, no, usually if I make a recommendation, all right, it's a recommendation. These guys are very low. I'd almost recommend picking up a good middle reliever or doing something else this week. But if you need a pitcher, uh, Julio Tehran, he's only 20% owned. He's looked good so far. We, met, we mentioned him last week on the show. He's playing versus Pittsburgh this week and at Cleveland the following week. It's not bad matchups. And if he continues what he's doing, certainly that's a good bid. So he's interesting. And Yanni Chirinos will be back. He is scheduled for a two-start week at Oakland, which is great, and at San Diego, which is not great. He's ERA for the year two seven nine. Now the thing is, uh, he doesn't. He's not going to pitch that many innings. Right? We're talking four or five innings max. But are the Rays going to use an opener for him? If they do, he can pitch two innings and get a win. And the Rays are a good team, so he's interesting in that regard. Um, I don't know exactly what the Rays are going to be using him as, but. Anybody out of Oakland is interesting to me. I mean, you know, I have the uh, used to do the drop last year of uh, who's playing the Pirates. Well, <laughs> who's playing Oakland this year? I'll take that start. Uh, so Yanni Chernos gets Oakland and another. Uh, you know, if you're if counting stats matter to you. Anybody else to add anything else? 
I think that's it. I think there's one reliever, though, I want to mention that we didn't mention when we talked about the relievers in Florida, and that's Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott is one of the reasons why A.J. Puck is being used as the closer. Tanner Scott's had a very good season so far. He's a lefty, and so is A.J. Puck, which allows A.J. Puck to be, quote-unquote, not the only lefty in the bullpen and allows him to close. And Tanner Scott's been pretty good. He's pitching middle relief. He's pitching maybe the seventh inning. He'll pitch the eighth inning, pitch the sixth inning sometimes. And the Marlins have a winning record. So you're talking about guys who come in and possibly get a win late in games. He's a guy, if, if he's available in your league and you don't want one, you don't can't stomach having a Julio Tehran on your league because it's, it's not 2012 anymore, then, you know, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, we picked him up in uh, NFBC, you and I, uh, last week. Uh, yes, we did. Auction Championship League, and uh, I like that pick. Definitely fills in a spot without... Uh, without having uh, to to put you know seven starter that that's not great and I, I don't like these matchups this this week for for waiver wire thin so uh, I'm I'm good with just rolling with Tanner Scott for another week as an extra middle reliever we got Batista in that league and Cano uh, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a terrible idea to handcuff but what what's your take on that Greg you know in terms of handcuffs um, you know for maybe a shallow league not but you know when you're a 15 team league and saves are at a premium you know we have Batista. You know, I think that Cano is worth more to us than anybody else, so I'm glad we mm-hmm. have him. What, what's your take on handcuff? Yeah, I'm it, again, it, it, roster construction and how you're doing things, but as we mentioned earlier, that those are the only two that have a save in that bullpen. So if anything were to happen to Bautista or he needs a day off, you still got his counterpoint to get the save in, in that game. So in, in that regard, it, it's okay. Um, if you're... If you're looking for potential um, stashes, we spoke about Justin Lawrence already. Um, I do think um, Scott McGuff is kind of gaining momentum. If we remember last year when Robert Suarez came over from the MPB, it took him till about this time of year, and he did have a little injury issue. But um, as the season went on, he got his footing and emerged as a dominant reliever for the Padres, setting up for Hayter um, going down the stretch there. I think McGuff, he's, I, I think he's been scoreless in 14 of his last 15, and he's gaining momentum. You know, there was an ugly blown save by Miguel Castro against Atlanta, and if Castro has another tough outing or two, he might get a, he might get removed from the right-handed option in that shares save, and uh, McGuff might emerge. So I, that's somebody I would keep tabs on. There's a couple of others, but that, that's a good one for now. Hey, I've got another strategy question for you, Greg, that we didn't talk about earlier. But, you know, I know you, you look at uh, usage, you know, very, very, very uh, tightly. I mean, you, that's, that's one of the things you monitor. And you have a great site, Reliever Recon, and you, you write about all the, uh, the usages. Um, how, how strict should everyone playing fantasy be looking um, in terms of setting lineups each week? Because I know for a Tout Wars, you know, I saw – Emmanuel Classe had a very, very heavy end of the week last uh, last week with usage, and I've got a bunch of closers on my roster, so I didn't play Classe, even though obviously he's one of the better ones. But you know, because of usage, I figured he's going to get only like one more one outing, maybe in four days. You know, they'll stay away from him. How how much should people really look at usage uh, in the short term when setting their lineups? Do you think? If you have the flexibility, you need to pay attention to it, and that's why on the closer charts I try and highlight the guys in magenta. That means if you see that, that means they've they've appeared in two in a row or like three of the last four. So I just call that like you know uh, 
monitor the workload. So you're, you're, you're thinking they might not get it. So like Lawrence had it today and they obviously didn't use them in that game. Um, so that's the whole point of doing that. And it, it is important because, you know, you, as we spoke about with the pitch clock and fatigue and other things, you really got to start managing these guys. You can't run them into the ground. I mean, we're not even, we just passed the one third point. We, we can't burn out relievers. If you have, if you have aspirations of playing in September and October. All right, Ruvain, time for the injury report. What's going on for this week? Well, we'll start with the biggest name out there, and that's Aaron Judge, literally and figuratively. Judge was placed on the aisle with a sprained right big toe. That's what they're calling it. He stubbed his toe making this crazy catch at Dodger Stadium. X-rays did not show a fracture. Yankees manager said that the Yankees don't have a time, won't have a timetable for his return until after the weekend. He got an injection for the toe. He seems pretty sore, quote-unquote. Um, Jake Bowers, I mentioned, already is getting some playing time. Willie Calhoun will get some more playing time. Billy McKinney will get some playing time. But... The, the, the issue with this is that they keep mentioning him, and they mentioned it today, um, using the word weeks, that they don't know how long he's going to be out for. And I'm a little bit concerned. I don't think he's going to come back right away, right off the, the right off the IL. I think it may take a week or two, even three, sometimes four. So I think they're erring on the side of caution. That's something to watch for. Byron Buxton, another guy who always seems to end up on the I.L., was placed on the I.L. with a left rib contusion. He was hit by a pitch. Uh, Trevor Larnock was activated off the I.L. To, to, to take his spot, but I think Byron Buxton should be back pretty soon when he's available. Brandon Lau was placed on the I.L. with low back inflammation. We don't know how bad it is, but Tampa doesn't think it's too bad right now. Vidal Brujan was called up. Taylor Walls, Isaac Paredes will get this more playing time. Nestor Cortez and the Yankees was placed on the aisle with left shoulder inflammations. He told reporters that he will, he's going to be shut down for 15 days, and he also said that he, was a pro, he had a problem recovering from the last few starts, and that he felt a twinge his last start. He already got an injection for his shoulder, and he's going to be reevaluated in about 10 days, so we'll see how that goes. Marco Gonzalez was placed on the aisle with a left flexor strain um, based on MRI. He will be shut down for throwing also for about 10 days we'll see how that goes um i don't want to end on a, on a sad note so i'm going to say jacob Degrom now he has a torn ucl right elbow tommy john surgery done for the year second tommy john of his career we'll see how the, how that works out but i want to end on a high note these players are the players who are going to come back in the next few days alec bohm danny jansen victor robles tj friedel alex wood all those guys should be coming back within the next week so i can end on a high note that's my, that's my whole team in one of my leagues by the way Actually, can can I can I can I ask Ruvain a question? Because Jordan yes. um, Alvarez left tonight's game with uh, a sore oblique. Yes. So here's here's the quote from Dusty Man Dusty Baker after the game today: "We've just got to regroup and try figure out how we're going to win some ball games and get through this." That doesn't sound encouraging, does it? No, that doesn't sound encouraging. Um, if it's a mild <laughs> oblique, it's usually about two to four weeks. It's a grade one. If it's a grade two, you're talking about six to eight weeks, and grade three is even worse. It's a tear. So it's usually going to be full, either be a grade one or a grade two. If it's a grade two, he can be out for up to two months. Oh, boy. Um, Sorry. Jose Abreu's got to step it up then, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like, he's been doing, like he's been doing so far this year. <laughs> well, that's why he said he's got to step it up. Uh, exactly. All right. Good stuff. A lot of great stuff on the show, uh, Greg. It's always f fantastic having you. That's why we have you on, because uh, uh, you do a great job with the bullpen. And uh, I mentioned Reliever Recon. Uh, it's a Patreon. You can definitely do it. I, I personally just let you I, I don't buy a lot of Patreons. I just don't. 
that is one of the only ones. I think I, I, I have like one other Patreon I subscribe to. But this one is, is abs absolutely well worth it um, just to keep updated. Because, yeah, I don't have the time to watch every single thing. And the closer situation is something that you need to monitor. And, you know, reading the articles from the site really do a great job. So kudos to you. Anything else you want to uh, uh, advertise or push, uh, Greg? No, I, you know, the uh, my column weekly for The Athletic publishes on Thursdays, which is obviously today as we're recording it. Um, you can check those out. It's unfortunate that, like, everything I do is behind a paywall, but that that's where we are in the fantasy baseball world now. Definitely worth, uh, worth paying the money to, Greg. Uh, fantastic. And also a great person, by the way, as well. You agree, Ruby? I do agree. Yes, I do. He, he has great stuff. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Ruvain, why don't you just uh, plug what you got going? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where you can follow me for Twitter updates on the injuries, next guy up, who's going to be, how long they're going to be out, and everything like that. And I also have a weekly article on Rotoboard that comes out every weekend to help you fit, navigate all the injuries that are going on in baseball and who's the next man up. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. And on Twitter, I'm at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to us right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I'm lucky I got my voice back a little bit, Ruvain. Uh, wh what do you think? It's, it's, been, it's been a couple of weeks since I got it. Not fully back, but enough to, uh, to, to do my high-pitched voice a little bit. Yep, I hear you. Wink, wink. <laughs> All right, there you go. Feels good. All right, guys. Well, once again, thank you so much, Greg Jewett, for coming on the show. Hope everyone enjoyed the show and is doing well in your leagues. Hey, it's past June 5th. We mentioned that's the flag for when you got to look at the standings. Standings are real right now. So go address your team's trading, waivers, strategy. Go to it and enjoy the season. All right, once again, thanks so much, Greg Jewett. From all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.